Uh, before we begin the message, I'd just like to take a moment to uh, reflect on and pray about the shooting that happened in Texas this week. Uh, I was in sophomore year of high school in 1999 when the Columbine shooting happened, the Columbine school shooting that kind of changed the landscape of America in significant ways. I remember feeling back then, we all felt back then, maybe some of you remember, that seemed unfathomable. How could such a thing happen? How could that happen in our nation, in our country, in our world? That it, it was so horrific and so mind-boggling that it shook our nation to its core. Well, unfortunately, as you know, over the last however many years, we've seen school shootings and mass shootings and violence on an unprecedented scale happen to the point where it is commonplace. And as, as much as it... it, it hurts me to even say it is, it is natural and normal to start feeling numb about the kind of horrific things that we are seeing on the news. It wakes us up every time it happens, but then we just get lulled right back to sleep because nothing seems to change. Well, things need to change. And especially for us as we are the church, we are the, we are the representatives of God in this world, we need to be uh, coming before the, the throne of God, asking, pleading with him, to make things change in our nation because it sure seems like human effort alone is not up to the task. So I just want to take a moment and I want to pray to that end. So let's pray together. Father God, there are no words. There are no words to describe the horror of what we saw this week in Texas, of the innocent children who have lost their lives, of the teachers who've lost their lives. Father, it is indescribable. It is unjust. It is horrific. And so Father, with that grief, in our hearts with the numbing sadness of the fact that this is so commonplace, we do ask, first of all, that you would be so close and so near to the families of the victims, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring peace, even though that may seem impossible at this moment. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be an ever-present force in their lives to bring comfort and healing. And Father, I pray for our nation, where, where shootings like this are so commonplace, that we don't even notice them sometimes. I pray, Father, that you would wake us up as a country. I pray that you would not let us go numb, that you would fill us with holy indignation and outrage about the injustice that is happening on our streets, in our schools, in our theaters, around this nation. And Father, I pray what maybe feels impossible, but I know you're a God of impossible things. I pray that you would bring the leaders of this country to a place of wisdom and unity, that they would bring about change that actually fixes the situation, that we would not just be uh, helpless bystanders of outrageous violence, but that you would make America a country that is once more filled with peace and justice and life perhaps more than we've ever experienced before. We know you can make it possible. And so, Father, we are asking that you would. And now, Father, as we open your word, as we continue and and, and wrap up this sermon series, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you have to say. I pray that I would disappear, that your Holy Spirit would remain. And I ask, Father, that we would walk away from this time together changed because of what you have had to say to us. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So all month in this sermon series, Breathe, we've been addressing a problem. There's a problem. We're exhausted. 
We are, are anxious. We're not sleeping well. I woke up at like 4.50 this morning. and I didn't, That's not when my alarm was set. And so I'm kind of bummed about that one. We are being sabotaged by our devices, aren't we? Our phones, our, our devices, our computers, they are telling us what to do. And we're just marching along with what they tell us to do. We are sabotaged. It is hard to breathe right now in this stress-filled, anxious time. It's very hard to breathe. So we're talking about this topic for for this month because we believe that we as a church are called to something different. We're called to a different way to live. In fact, this is one of our core values at Grace. The core value goes like this. Breathe. That's the value. Breathe. We will not be ground into dust by this life. We long to be continuously refreshed by Jesus, to pursue what makes us healthy, and to practice the spiritual disciplines of solitude, silence, and Sabbath rest. That's what we care about as a church. That's what we want to see happen. And so we're exploring that concept this month. So to do that, we've been looking at a a thread throughout Scripture that's called Sabbath, Sabbath rest. We've looked at this thread, how, how, how it plays out in the Sabbath day and the Sabbath year and, and the idea that it's a gift that God gives to the people. We've looked at all of this. Um, and, and by the way, Sabbath, in case you haven't been a part of it, what it meant, the day or the year of Sabbath, was meant that the people of Israel would not work at all. They had to rest. It was a command. They had to rest on the Sabbath. And so this thread, it, it weaves through scripture, but as we've been seeing through this series, it weaves right into our lives today. Because even though we're not necessarily commanded to practice the literal Sabbath observance that the ancient Israelites were, we are, as followers of Jesus, we are expected, invited. We are invited to, to uh, live a Sabbath kind of life. A a life that is characterized by trust that God will provide and meet our needs, not trust in our own self-sufficiency. It's an invitation that's open to us, and this biblical thread gives us a lot of insight into it. It is a life that we are invited into, in short, where we return, as I've said many times, to the abundance of Eden. God's presence, God's abundance, that's that's, that's possible for us, and Sabbath might be the key. So today we're going to end this series, and we're going to do it by looking at one final aspect, maybe the, the, the capstone idea of this whole Sabbath thread. It's called the year of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. So please, please grab a Bible, turn with me to Leviticus 25, starting in verse 8, and, and we're going to read about the year of Jubilee. It'll be page 107 in the House Bibles. I'd love for you to follow along and gear up, because a little bit later we are going to skip ahead to another passage in Scripture. So get your Bible passage fingers ready, because we're going to be turning. Okay, so the year of Jubilee. This command in Leviticus to the Israelites, it comes right after what we talked about last week, where we talked about the Sabbath year. The Sabbath year was the command that for a whole year, the Israelites were not allowed to work. They couldn't work the fields. They couldn't prune their vines. They could only just eat whatever the land produced on its own. They weren't allowed to, to work. They had to rest, and the land had to rest too. And then we read this. Verse 8, in addition... <clears throat> You must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. 
This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own and don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you and you must keep it holy, but you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. Okay, a few things to note here. Uh, Maybe a little bit of world behind the text. First of all, this year of Jubilee was supposed to take place after seven Sabbath years. Seven Sabbath years, those years of not working. So you count off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Sabbath years, and then in the 50th year, you take what amounts to a second Sabbath year in a row, right? A whole other year where you're not working, you're not pruning, none of that. So what that meant, it's kind of crazy, is two years, at some point, every 50 years, you'd have your seventh Sabbath year, and then you'd have the year of Jubilee, and neither of them are you allowed to work. So two full years of rest, two full years of not working. It's it's crazy. By the way, have I mentioned in this series that Sabbath is a matter of trust? Because think about the amount of trust that that would take to not work for two full years. But this is important. The year of Jubilee is not just another Sabbath year. It's not just about not working. It's also what I would call a significant economic reset for the people of Israel. It's a chance to to maybe untangle some of the chains of injustice and poverty that that have trapped the people. Look at verse 10. It says, The year of Jubilee is a year to proclaim, quote, freedom throughout the land. Now, this is maybe not as explicit here as it is in other parts of the law, but what that means, that's freedom for those who are slaves. In the year of Jubilee, all Israelite slaves are to be set free. Doesn't matter how you got there. Doesn't matter why you're a slave, but your slavery is over in the year of Jubilee. And it goes on, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. It says that twice in this passage. You can return to your ancestors' land. In other words... If in the course of the last 50 years, you've fallen on hard times or you've had to sell your family's land for some reason, you get it all back. You get it all back in the year of Jubilee. It's like a new beginning for you and your family. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's an economic reset. This year of Jubilee is a provocative rejection of the systems of the world, the way that the world works. All these systems that grind people to the dust, grind people to dust, Jubilee rejects them all and says, no, there's another way. There's another way. And all of this is accompanied, as it says, by the blowing of the ram's horn. Okay, this was their version of, of trumpets. In fact, the, the word Jubilee in Hebrew it literally is, is Yovel, and it means the blowing of a ram's horn. That's what Jubilee means. So you could call it, honestly, the year of the trumpet blast. Maybe that's another way of putting it in English, the year of the trumpet blast. So just imagine for just a minute. Imagine what it would feel like, the anticipation that you'd feel if you were an ancient Israelite and you knew that that Jubilee was on the way, right? Once or maybe twice in your life, every 50 years, once or twice in a lifetime, if you were a slave, if if your family's fallen on hard times, if you're being ground to dust by work, you know that when that trumpet blasts, you get a second chance. You get to start over. You get to return, as we've been saying through this series, return to an Eden kind of life, a life of abundance, a life of justice, a life of rest. There is hope, in other words, because the year of Jubilee is on the way. At least that's how it was supposed to work, 
right? In theory, that's what Jubilee was supposed to be about. But in practice, well, we never really got to see what happened with the year of Jubilee because if you remember what I said last week, the Sabbath year, that one, that one year of no working, as far as all the historical records go, there's no indication that the Israelites ever even tried it. And it takes seven Sabbath years to get to the first year of Jubilee. So if they didn't even do one, the year of Jubilee, that was far, far out of reach, right? This is, we're talking the year of Jubilee becoming nothing more than like a, an idealistic fantasy, a dream. It, it, it's way out of reach. Now, here's why this is a problem and why this is so heartbreaking for me that they, the Israelites never experienced it. Because, again, as we've been saying, the Israelites from the very beginning were called to be Holy, holy, that word holy, it just means set apart. The Israelites were supposed to be different than all the other nations in the world. They were supposed to be a, a nation you could look at and realize, oh, Israel's God provides. There is another way to live. We don't have to be ground to the dust. But instead, what happened? In Israel, well, they became no different than the rest of them, right? Injustice and violence and pain and abuse and, and work that grinds people into the dust. Israel missed their chance to return to Eden. They missed it. And so the year of Jubilee was just a, was just a fantasy. However, however, the oppressed in Israel, those who were being downtrodden, they didn't lose hope entirely. And in fact, this idea of jubilee, it started to become something of a, of a symbol that people looked to, a symbol for the future. There were uh, several ideas that kind of served this purpose. There was this idea of uh, the time of the Lord's favor that would come one day, or, or the year of the Lord, as it's often called. So you've got the year of the Lord, the year of jubilee. This became a symbol of a time, someday, someday, when, when God would intervene in human history to make things right in the world. That became their dream. The Lord's time, the Lord's year, the Lord's jubilee. It would come, and then things will be made right. That's what the oppressed held on to. Now, you can see this hope echoed all throughout the prophets. You look through the prophets, you see it again and again. For example, here's what the prophet Joel envisioned when he thought about this, this day of the Lord. He said, sound the trumpet in Jerusalem, right? There's that trumpet blast. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everybody tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Now, tremble in fear? Why? That seems a little intense. Why would you want to do that? Well, Remember, Israel was full of injustice and violence, right? And when God shows up to make things right, it's not going to go so great for those who are unjust and violent. So you should be trembling. We should be quaking in our boots if we are committing injustice. So that's why he says, tremble in fear. But this idea of this future day, it was also a source of tremendous hope and encouragement for those who were at the mercy of the unjust, those who were oppressed. Like, look at this. In the, in the, the prophet Isaiah, they had anticipation, just like the year of Jubilee. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim what? That captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. God's going to make things right. The time of the Lord's favor is coming. 
So you see, the year of the trumpet blast, the year of Jubilee, this, this time of the Lord's favor, there, this was the hope that defined the, the oppressed people of Israel. This is what they held on to. This ultimate Sabbath rest, when they could finally breathe again, when things are made right, that was what they held on to. That was on the way. And remember, these are people who are living like one bad harvest away from destitution. Okay, so this is, they're, they're living, a, a, they're barely hanging on to life. And in the meantime, they are being ground to dust by greedy landowners and invading enemy nations and, and all of it. They're being ground to dust by this life. And so they held on to this hope. They held on to this idea that when the time of the Lord's favor finally comes, when Jubilee is here, injustice and violence will finally be crushed. Hope and dignity will finally spring up. And those in chains, whatever those chains are, those in chains will finally experience a new beginning. The year of Jubilee became a symbol of hope, of a world made new, of a world that's defined by Sabbath rest. That's what Jubilee became. Now, our lives today are very different than ancient subsistence farmers in Israel, right? I mean, we barely look anything like them from a, from a day-to-day existence standpoint. But when we think about that hope of all things being made right, of all things being made new, I think we kind of share a bit of that yearning, don't we? We look out at our world and we, we long to be released from the crushing anxiety that we feel. We, we, we want to be free from the slave masters of profit and, and greed and survival. We dream, just like the ancient Israelites, we dream of walking again with God in the abundance of Eden. Like the Israelites, we look forward to a time, the, the, the time of the Lord's favor. We look forward to the day of the Lord when true rest, true Sabbath rest is made possible. We look forward to it, but of course, it's a, it's a long way off. It's forever. It's, it, seems, it seems impossibly out of reach. It's way off in the distance. So it's, it's coming someday. Or is it? Is it so far off? Is it really something that's in the future? Turn with me to the New Testament. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Turn with me to, to Luke 4, starting in verse 16, page 854, 854 in the House Bibles. Because Jesus, I don't think he saw things the same way that the ancient Israelites did. He didn't look at the year of the Lord's favor, as, as the, at the year of Jubilee, as something that was future. In fact, he talked about it like something that was already at hand. Listen to this. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, Jesus went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. See what Jesus is doing here? He says, this has been fulfilled. 
In other words, according to him, according to Jesus, the time of the Lord's favor, it's now. The year of the Lord has come. According to Jesus, this is the Jubilee because he's here. Now, that sounds crazy because, like, aren't there supposed to be a whole lot of things? What about the trumpets? Like, but think about his teaching. Think about what he did in his ministry. Think about the kingdom that Jesus established on this earth. He established a kingdom where the poor are provided for and where chains of injustice are broken, where people find freedom, where the oppressed and the marginalized are given special honor, where violence is rejected by self-giving love, a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. That's his kingdom. And this is why he tells his followers not to worry about everyday life. Why he tells us to, to seek his kingdom first, trusting that God is going to give us everything we need. Because to Christ, to Jesus, Sabbath rest and jubilee, these ideas can become a way of our life now. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled. According to Jesus, this is available. So now we got to do a little bit of reconciliation in our minds. Like, what do we do with the fact that Jesus says this is here, but then we look out at our world and it sure seems awfully broken, doesn't it? It sure seems uh, pretty imperfect. I mean, it's not like our world has returned to Eden. So what do we do with that? Well, first we have to acknowledge that, yes, in this still broken world, when we see global famines and school shootings and injustice, we are still waiting for that final trumpet blast when all things are, are, are made new, when new creation is complete. But, but, we cannot miss the fact that when Jesus began his ministry, he said that the time of the Lord's favor had begun. He described this as, as breaking into our world now. Everywhere Jesus went, little seedlings of Eden began springing up, right? Lives were healed. People found peace and forgiveness and life and freedom and rest. And through his Holy Spirit, guys, the same exact thing can and should be true of us. This world, yeah, it's still broken, but we, we are jubilee people. We are here to unbreak this world in Jesus' name because that is what he began. We are participating in the inbreaking of Eden, of Jubilee to our world. Now, these are big concepts, right? This is like, this is it. This is like the concept. This, we're talking about the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, that this is all actually happening. But let's get back to our question for this series. What does this have to do with rest? What does this have to do with the anxiety that we feel? Well, hopefully after, after these five weeks, you've begun to see how these threads of Scripture are connected, right? This, the thread of work and of Sabbath and of, of, of uh, the kingdom of God and Jubilee and the Sabbath year. I hope you've seen how all of these things are connected, right? It's all telling one grand story, one large story, and it is the same thread that you and I are a part of. It weaves right into our lives. So I would argue that if we want to rest, if we want to truly experience renewal and refreshment in these anxious times, if we want to return to Eden and breathe again, 
Well, then I think we've got to start following where Jesus leads. Start paying attention to what he taught and the way that he encouraged us to live in this world. So in light of what we've talked about today, how do we do that? How do we begin to follow him? Well, three things, three ways that we can start to follow him. The first one is this. Grab your trumpet. Grab your trumpet. As I said before, the year of Jubilee, this year of freedom and justice and new beginnings, it was literally the year of the trumpet blast. That's what Jubilee means. Well, if Jesus was truly anointed, if he really was the Messiah to bring good news to the poor and to captives and to the blind and to the oppressed, well, then that declaration is our job as well as his followers. And not just by our mouths, but by the way we live. Our lives, our lives should be ringing endorsements of the truth that the kingdom of God is breaking into our world, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I think if you want to experience true rest, true refreshment, true abundance, true provision from our God, if you want to live out the jubilee, then you need to join him and work shoulder to shoulder with him in the things that he cares about. Be a jubilee person. Show people how to come back to God. Move into the lives of those who are in pain. Open up your home. Open up your lives to those who are isolated. Stand up against injustice. Conquer hate with self-giving love. And seek the well-being of God's beautiful creation. Work with Jesus. Work with Jesus to heal the broken places of this world. And your life will become a trumpet blast of good news. That is when your well of abundance and and refreshment will start springing up within you as God works with you and through you to plant seeds of Eden again. Grab your trumpet. Grab your trumpet. It's jubilee. Second, be holy. Be holy. And I know that sounds like a very Christian-y thing to say, but remember what we've been talking about. Holy means what? It means set apart. It means different, right? That's what, that's what the Israelites were called to be, a holy nation. They were called to show the world that there is a different way to live. That's what Sabbath is all about, so that everybody could look and be like, wow, God's, you know, Israel's God truly does provide. That's what Sabbath is about. Well, that call to be holy, to be set apart, that call extends to you and to me. As the Apostle Peter said, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So as we think about the anxiety and the stress and the overwork and the exhaustion that so many in our community are feeling right now, as we think about our neighbors who are are enslaved to their work, who are addicted to greed, who are consumed by consumerism, as we think about them, let's ask ourselves this. Are we set apart? Are we different? Are we holy? The whole point of biblical Sabbath, of the Sabbath year, of of Jubilee, the whole point of all of this, this whole thread of Scripture is to demonstrate to the world that there is another way to live, a a, a way of trust that God is going to provide. So I want you to ask yourself, does my lifestyle look different than those around me? 
Does the way that I approach money or, or work or time off or rest, does that look like I trust that God's going to give me what I need? Does my life look fruitful? Does it look abundant? Do I live like a free person? If your answer is no to those questions or to any of those questions, if your life really doesn't look all that different from the lives of people around you, if you are being ground into dust by this life, then I hope, I hope this series comes as a wake-up call to you. Not a wake-up call of guilt or shame, like, oh, you should be doing... No, a wake-up call that you don't have to live that way. You don't have, you can be free because guess what? The time of the Lord's favor has come. It has been fulfilled through Jesus and his followers. We are now empowered to live in such a way that we can declare to the world the Jubilee has begun. Has begun. So, grab your trumpet, be holy. And finally, live free. Live free. And this is where I just want to get really practical with you for a minute. Because these are, these are big concepts. This is all very, very existential. But what are, you, what are you going to do about this? How do you start? Where do you begin? If you want to be holy, if you want to live differently, if you want your life to be a, a trumpet blast of good news, then here's what I would, I would tell you. you got to put these ideas to the test. Okay, you've got to actually test these ideas, try these ideas out, try to live them. You've got to see whether trusting in God to provide in this way would actually lead to the rest he promises. The Israelites never even put the Sabbath year to the test. They didn't trust. And so they never got to see how God was going to come through for them. You've got to try it. You've got to try it. So we're about to head into summer. Summer's a great time to think about one or two things that you want to accomplish or do, and maybe, maybe work on in your own sort of, you know, day-to-day life. So I've got, I've got a few ideas. I've got four ideas uh, of things that you could try out this summer. And I want you to think of one, pick one of them that really resonates with you, and I want you to commit to give it a shot. June, July, August, make it happen. Try this out. So here we go. Here's number one. If you're somebody who is always working, always reachable, always checking email on your days off or taking work calls on vacation. You know who you are. If that's you, I want to invite you to stop. To stop. That's, remember, that's what Sabbath means. It literally means stop, a day of stopping. So here's, here's my ask. Carve out a regular window of time this summer when you are not on the clock. Maybe it's an hour a day. You you carve that out. Maybe it's a day a week. Maybe it's a long weekend every month. Carve out that time. Protect it. Tell your coworkers, you're not going to be able to reach me. And then trust. Trust that into that time, when when you're not reachable, when when you don't know what's going on in the office, when you don't know if you're going to be able to make it through that little time of, of, of being apart and disconnected, trust that into that time, God will give you rest. Trust that he's going to use that space to bring healing into your family. And trust, trust that that God is going to make you even more productive and abundant and fruitful in your work all the other hours of the day. Trust 
that God will come through for you, but you got to carve out the time. You got to give this a shot. And think about what would happen if you did. Would, would, would carving out that time, would that help you be set apart from the rest? Yeah, you better believe it. Your coworkers might think you're nuts. But imagine how they would see you change. And imagine what they would start to observe in you. Your life might just start to be a little bit of a trumpet blast. Maybe a little tiny trumpet, trumpet, little uh, bugle, little, little toot of, of, of life to your coworkers. And you might just begin to show them that there really is another way to live. I'm going to regret saying that for a very long time. <laughs> I'm going on sabbatical. You all forget by the time I get back. Uh, all right. <laughs> it's not, I'm not making a shirt with that one. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> all right, here's the second one. I'm going to invite you this summer. Maybe if that one doesn't resonate with you, maybe this one will. Make a conscious choice. A conscious choice to reject the demands of greed this summer. Make a conscious choice. So much of our stress and our anxiety, it, it comes from the relentless demands of more. More, right? That maybe is one of our slave masters of our time. More products, more gadgets, more clothes, more stuff, whatever it is. We, we always have to have more. The Jubilee is here, right? It is a time for slaves to be released, and that includes those who are in slavery to consumerism. This is a time to be free. I want to remind you, God's Holy Spirit is within you, giving you power to take off those chains. You can stop the grind of greed and acquisitiveness. You can stop the demands of more. You have that power, but you got to make the choice, and you got to trust. So will you? Third, put your phone in its place. And by this, I don't mean physically. Maybe it's physically. I'll get to that in a second. But put your phone in its place. Remind your phone who's the boss, <laughs> in other words. Because let's be honest, our phones are another kind of slave master, taskmaster of our day, right? They tell us what to do, and we do what they tell us to do. Look at this. Pay attention to this. Go here. Buy this, right? Our phones are constantly making demands of us, and we say, yes, boss. Well, your phone is not your boss. I don't want you to forget that God commanded the Israelites to practice Sabbath. The first, in Deuteronomy 5, he, he tells them, here's why. Because you were once slaves in Egypt, but you're not anymore. So live free. And the Jubilee, we just talked about this. The Jubilee was a time to do what? To proclaim freedom throughout the land. I want you to be able to proclaim freedom from your phone. Yell it out. Find the strength to put it down, to, to turn it off, to lock it up if you need to, even for a moment, for an hour, for a day. I'll tell you, during my sabbatical, I'm going to challenge myself. This is the one I'm going to plan on working on. Uh, during my sabbatical, I'm going to take a week, maybe more, but, but definitely a week, where I leave my phone. I literally put it in its place. I'm going to leave it on a, on a specific point at the kitchen counter, and that is the only place that I can use it. If I'm going to check something or read something or text somebody, I have to go stand at the kitchen counter and do it, put it away, and then leave. If I'm going to bed, the phone's not with me. If I'm going out to the garden, the phone's not with me. I'm going to try that because I want to remind myself and my world that my phone serves me. It's not the other way around. All right? So I'm going to try that out. Don't, you guys, don't applaud it. You do it. Go try it or something. All right? Thank you. I'm so brave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
put your phone in its place. Put your phone in its place because the trumpet is blowing, guys. The trumpet is blaring. We are called to be holy. We are called to be different from the world around us. So let's be different. Finally, this summer, I just want you to settle in. Settle into the presence of God and let him give you rest. I said this a few weeks ago. You cannot force yourself to rest. You can't just will refreshment into your life. All you can do is carve out the space for it. You can provide opportunities for God to give you rest. You can protect the space and the time for God to give you replenishment. And so this summer, I want you to get a taste of the Eden that which, to which we can return. I want you to taste the abundance and the refreshment of God. I want you to breathe. But you've got to make the time for it. You've got to carve it out. You've got to create space so that you can settle in, settle into his presence. Let's make this a summer of Sabbath rest. Let's make this the summer of Jubilee, whatever that looks like for you. God's desire is to refresh you. God's desire is to sustain you. He does not want, you are his child. He does not want you ground into dust. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you could be free. So let's be free. Let's pray. Well, Father, I know we are up against it here. We have got a lot of pressure against us pressure to give in to the demands of work, of profit, of, of social media, of all of it. We are constantly being bombarded by demands. And yet, Father, you are offering us this gift, this gift of rest, this gift of Sabbath, of jubilee. I pray, Father, that this summer would be a marker moment in our lives, all of us, that we would begin to trust to even dip our toes into the water, to trust that you truly are who you say you are, that you truly will come through for us and provide for us and give us rest. Would you give us the strength through your Holy Spirit and the courage to stop the grind and let your refreshment begin? Father, we want to be set apart and we want to show the world that there truly is a different way to live so that your gospel message can take root in our community. Pray all these things, Father, in the name of Jesus, the author of Sabbath. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.